0: Okay, we're in Mark chapter 6, Mark chapter 6. Last time I preached, we were in Mark chapter 5, just kind of moving through Mark. And uh, we're going to take the whole chapter, 56 verses. How do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. So we're gonna take this a section at a time here. You know, um, I've been walking with the Lord now 23 years, and a follower of Jesus Christ is considered in the Bible the most blessed of people. The problem is the Bible never says anywhere that it's easy. You guys ever found that? Right? And uh, to be honest with you, the, re- the reality of being a believer, a follower of Christ, is that oftentimes my number one enemy, the fight for faith, is my own heart, if we're honest. Is almost everyone I know that is in, in Christ has good days? And bad days, and oftentimes it's this struggle in the heart to hold on to our faith, to trust Christ with all we have, particularly when life circumstances change and there's things happening around us. I mean, we have so much happening in the world that sometimes this, if you will, will this fight for faith is, is always present to the point sometimes where some of us may even come to the point where we wonder if we really believe. And I had to ask the question as I came to to this section of Scripture because you have to understand Mark. Mark is writing for Peter. He's basically a scribe, and the apostle Peter is telling him basically what to write, and he's writing for the church. And the whole purpose of Mark is to prove that Jesus is the Son of God, the incarnate living Son of God, God here with us. And so when you go through every chapter There's a reason it's there, and this chapter here deals with unbelief. And when you're studying Scripture and you're going to try to teach it, what you want to find is in a text is what we call the natural unit. There's an idea here, and the idea, I believe, that Mark's trying to get at here is what hinders our faith. Because although the people that he represents here, not all of them are believers, what we're going to see is that there's heart issues here, guys hard issues that will hinder our faith things that will keep us from just trusting Christ with all that we have and so the question that i want to ask this morning that i want to answer through this text is what is hindering you from trusting and believing in Christ and there's a warning and an admonition in scripture and it's in Hebrews chapter 3 verse 12 and this is what it says it says take heed brothers lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief departing from the faith. There's a warning here that I want you to think through as we go through each of these texts because he's talking to the church. That's why he wrote this book. And when we think about the heart, it is the mind and the wheel and the emotions. So the first thing we're going to see this morning is that a, a jealous heart, a jealous heart will hinder our faith. This is verses one through six. Sometimes we become so familiar with someone who's trying to share with us the Lord that we just will not listen. And there might even be this morning, see I think God is always providential. There's a reason that you're here this morning. And there might even be someone here that was actually invited by a friend here to this church. And I gotta tell you from a perspective of somebody who's reached out to many people, Isn't it the frustration, guys, for us individually that the biggest frustration is that that we believe it, but we can't make them believe it, and that's our frustration. So let's read the text, verses 1 through 6. And he, being Jesus, went out from there, and he came into his hometown, and his disciples followed him. And when the Sabbath had come, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many listeners were astonished, saying... Where did this man get these things, and what is this wisdom given to him, and such miracles as these performed by his hands? Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, and brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? Are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. And Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and among his own relatives and in his own household. And he could do no miracle except that he laid his hands upon a few sick people and healed them. And he wondered at their unbelief and he was going around the villages teaching. The struggle that we have as believers in Christ is that we have people that we love so much and our heart aches for them and we just want them to understand that it's real and that it's true. And every word within this book could radically, radically change their life. But aren't the hardest people to reach those we care most about? And so you have a picture here of Jesus. He's going back home. Now, you need to understand, Jesus has been here before when He first started His ministry. When Jesus first started His ministry, do you guys remember He was baptized, right, and they saw the dove fall upon Him? He goes out into the desert to be tested for forty days and forty nights, and he's tempted by the devil. Right after that experience, guess where he goes? Back to Nazareth. And Jesus goes back to Nazareth to his own people, and he walks in the synagogue, and he reads from the prophet Isaiah. I want to read to you. This is the start of his ministry. This is what he reads in Luke four eighteen and nineteen. This is Isaiah sixty one one. The spirit of the Lord is upon me, because He has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. And he has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are downtrodden and to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. And this whole past year, that's what he's done, right? But can I tell you that when he went there right then, he says almost the same thing in verse 24. He says, truly I say to you, no prophet is welcome in his hometown. And then he goes on to explain to them about the prophet Elijah. And he talks about how the prophet Elijah went to Israel, and there were a lot of widows there, but guess what? He didn't reach out to any of the widows in Israel. You know what? He went to a a widow of Serapheth in Sidon. She was a Gentile. And then he says, you know what? There were a lot of guys with leprosy in Israel, but God didn't send him to anyone except to Naaman. And so you have these two people that God healed, but neither one of them are Israelites. And guess what happens? The people get really mad, and they try to throw them off a cliff. That was a year earlier. Now he's back. Now he's been in Capernaum ministering. And the last time we saw him cast out demons out of this man, and now he goes back home. Why? Because they're his people. He cares for them. They've rejected him once, but he's back again to reach out for them. He wants those that are closest to him to know Christ. You guys been there? I've been there so many times with family and friends. Now look at verses 3 and 4. The people won't believe. Verses 3 and 4, they begin to grumble. And they say, is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James and Joseph and and Judas and Simon? Are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. And Jesus said to him again, the prophet is not without honor except in his own hometown and among his own relatives and in his household. In verse 5 and 6, it says that he could do, could, could not do miracles except that he laid of hands on a few sick people. And it says he wondered at their unbelief. He, he wonders. This word wonder means to be either extremely impressed or extremely disturbed, and he's extremely disturbed here at these people's unbelief because word has gotten around. He's been gone for a year and everybody's been hearing. This guy is healing everybody, casting out demons, doing amazing miracles and he even healed a few right before their eyes. But they would not believe. And someone once said that jealousy is the raw material for murder and I think that's what you have here. You have a people that are jealous of him. Who is he? Who is he? And this contempt begins to grow, and then they say, you know what, isn't this the carpenter? I mean, isn't this like the laborer, like the local handyman? He's just like us, man. Who does he think he is coming here sharing this stuff with us, right? And then they take it a step further, and they start to blaspheme him. They say, isn't this the son of Mary? Now, guys, that's a slam. Because in the Jewish culture, you always relate the son to the father, by them relating it to his mother, they're saying, isn't he the son of that whore, Mary? Aren't his brothers and sisters with us? Hey, he's one of us. What gives him the right to share this with me? Have you been there? Maybe you've even been one of those people as somebody tried to share with you before Christ, right? Right? And Jesus, to his own relatives and friends and town folk, he's brokenhearted. He wants to reach them with all his heart, but they will not listen. Something is hindering their faith. What is it? It's a jealous heart. It's a heart of envy. It's a heart that will not break through and actually trust that God is working in this. It's kind of a scary thing because here they are, and it seems like in this text that their unwillingness to listen, their rejection right here hinders God. Do you see it? It says he could do no miracles. Now, we know that God is sovereign, right? And only God can hinder God. If God wants to heal, he will heal. He is a sovereign God. But I think what you see here is hearts that are so hard, hearts that are so closed, God refuses to move now because he knows they won't receive it. Matter of fact, Matthew put, makes it clear. Matthew says he did not do many miracles because of their lack of faith. And it seems like unbelief freezes the work of God. And I, I got to tell you, sometimes as a preacher, you can feel it. It's cold. And I read the story about the well known Scottish preacher. His name is A.J. Gossip. And he was talking to another preacher, Alexander White. And Alexander White said, Hey, why did you miss last night's service? And he says, Well, I was preaching at another church. And he said, Well, how'd it go? And he says, It was cold. And he goes, Cold? What do you mean? He says, Well, actually, I preached there two years, and I haven't gotten the chill out of my bones yet. Sometimes when you go into a room of people, sometimes you can preach, and they just will not hear. And often it's those that we're closest to. Have you, have you found that to be true? It's because they have too much knowledge about you, right? They know your background just a little too well. And although you're claiming Christ, they see these inconsistencies in your life. But can I tell you something? That's not that with Jesus. He's the son of God. He's perfect. I think it's the reverse. It's because our hearts are exposed to the light of Christ. But men love darkness rather than light. But there's a principle here. Familiarity breeds contempt. You ever heard that? I think that's what we're seeing here. There was a well-known philosopher and French writer in the Renaissance by the name of Michael de Montaigne. This is what he said. It was interesting. He said, at home, he was considered just a scribbling country proprietor. In the neighboring town, he was a man recognized for his business ability. And farther away, he was noted as a well-known author. The greater the distance, the greater he became. Sometimes when we go back... To those that we love the most, they won't hear because there's a jealousy in them. How dare you speak to me like that? I know your background. Guys, I've been a Christian for 23 years. I'm the last of six kids. And I have hammered away at my family. And to be honest with you, I think a lot of it was done with the wrong heart. But I can remember the day I got saved, the next day I was at my brother's house with a Bible. Seriously. You won't believe it. you got to read this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't want it. And for years, for years, I reached out to him. My brother developed Alzheimer's about six and a half years ago. And when we had to move him from his house to a care facility, I did the packing. I found a box, a big box. And in that box, I found Bibles and tapes, every book I ever gave him. He kept it all, but I don't think he read a, a stitch can I tell you something? 22 years of prayer, pleading with the Lord at the right moment in a time of suffering, in a recognition of his weakness, my brother came to Christ. Pray. Pray. But most of the time the reason is is because they just know you and they have this jealous heart. It hinders it. So that's the first thing we see here is that a jealous heart, it hinders our faith. The second thing we see is is a prideful heart hinders our faith. This is verses 7 through 13 and verse 30. A person who is prideful and trusts in their own ability over the Lord's, they have not put their faith in Christ. Let's read the text, verse 7. And he summoned the 12, and they began to send them out in pairs. And he was giving them authority over the unclean spirits, and he instructed them that they should take nothing for their journey except a mere staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belt. But to wear sandals, and he added, do not put on two tunics. And he said to them, whenever you enter into a house, stay there until you leave town. And any place that does not receive you or listen to you as you go out from there, shake off the dust from the soles of your feet for a testimony against them. And they went out and they preached that men should repent. And they were casting out many demons and they were anointing with oil many of the sick people and healing them. And the apostles gathered together with Jesus and they reported to him all that they had done and taught. Now, I want you to look at verse 30 closely. You jump from verse 13 down to verse 30, and it says, And the apostles gathered together with Jesus, and they reported to him all that they had done and taught. So you have the picture here that Jesus calls out the twelve. Twelve. Now, he had a number of people following him at this time, so this is kind of a big deal. He selects these 12, and he says, I'm going to send you out, and you're going to have special power. You're going to be able to cast out demons. You're going to be able to preach, and you're going to be able to heal people. I mean, wouldn't you want to be one of those guys? Wow, right? The Lord himself calls you to minister, but he says, okay, here's the deal. You can't take anything with you but what you're wearing. Your sandals, that robe, you get one tunic. That means, two tunics mean you stay warm at night. One tunic, you're barely making it. He's saying, you've got to wait on the Lord. He's going to provide you with the food, the place to stay, everything. And it seems to me as I read that, that these guys are dependent on Christ and that there's faith there. Do you see it? They're willing to do it. They went out. Anybody here willing to say, okay, I'm dropping it all and I'm going right now, today. I'm not going to take any food, no money, just what I'm wearing on my back. And I'm going off to, I don't know, Ethiopia today, getting on a plane. I'm going to trust the Lord. Hands. All right these guys have faith. So they begin strong, right? They're gone for it. We trust the Lord. We're dependent on Him. He's the one who's got our back. Yes, we trust God. They don't care about comfort. They're going to go. There's no air conditioning? No problem. No bed? Not a problem. We'll stay wherever He wants us, right? Right heart. Like it. Good stuff. And he gives this thing in there about the sandals. It says if you're in a place and they reject you, right, take off the sandal, shake off the dust. This is kind of a Jewish idea here that if you go into a Gentile territory and you still have some of that dust on your feet and God pronounces judgment on them, you have some of that judgment on you because of the dust. So in public, they're supposed to get rid of all the dust as a sign for the people. Actually, I think it's mercy saying repent. Judgment is coming. I see a heart of God in here, goodness. And so this is kind of a great picture of faith. I'm like, wow, these guys got it. They want to serve the Lord. They're willing to just leave it all. And and, and what did the Lord do? He blessed it. Man, they preached and people came, right? They start casting out demons. They go. You're healed. Bam, people are healed. So, man, they're excited. And then you go to verse 13. I'm sorry, verse 30. And verse 30 says this. It says, the apostles gathered together with Jesus and they reported to him all that they had done and taught. Do you guys see it? I think they began in faith, but I think pride set in. Pride hinders, hinders a work of faith in the heart because it's self-reliance, not reliance on the Lord. It's a trusting in self and not what God can do. And can I tell you, from, from my perspective, I've, I've done a lot of evangelism ministry, and pride is always the one that creeps into evangelism ministries. Typically, when people first come into an evangelism ministry, they're scared to death. They're like, yeah, 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 yeah I know. I'm not sure I can do this. I'm not sure I want to go out and talk to people. Da, da, da. And then, you know, they do, get a little training. You, you know, Let's do it, and they go out, and then, then God does something, right? And at first, it's like, wow, look what God did. But it seems to me like over time, as people go out and share their faith a lot, particularly as God is a blessing and people come to Christ, it's, they start to go, notch on the belt, got another one, yeah. I've got this evangelism thing. Yeah, God's made me an evangelist. And so what I see oftentimes in an evangelism ministry is pride. And it can happen in any ministry. Is that when God begins to bless and he does this great work, it's very, it's in the heart of man, guys. We have a sinful heart. We can start leaning on our own understanding and say, well, I've got to do these certain systems and da-da-da-da-da to make things happen. And you might be saying, well, I saw faith there. They went out and God used them, right? Let me share with you, at the end of Jesus' ministry, at the Last Supper, Jesus, he takes the bread and he says, hey, this is my body given for you, right, as a symbol for them. Do this in remembrance of me. He takes the cup and he says, this is the, the blood of the new covenant given for you. I'm in a very personal moment. I'm going to the cross. I'm going to die for you. And do you know what happens right after that? In Luke 22:24, 24, it says this, and there arose also a dispute among them to which one of them would be the greatest. Right after the Lord breaks the bread and says, hey, I'm going to the cross. I'm giving my body and blood for you. Guess what they did? Oh, we're gonna, what are we going to do, man? We're going to lead, right? Pride. Pride hinders faith. Pride keeps us from trusting God because, hey, man, I got, it, I got it nailed. I'm going to do it myself. And there's a well known poet, British poet, by the name of William Ernest Hindley, And he wrote a very famous poem entitled Invictus. Have you guys ever heard that poem? Very famous line at the end says, I am the master of my fate, I am the captain of my soul. I've heard that many times before. And that line has been used all over the place, but many people have looked to that, and it's basically an expression, a self-centered way to cope with life circumstances. I'm the master, right? The master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. And it sounds kind of cool. Matter of fact, Nelson Mandela, that was the poem that kind of helped him get through prison. And even the well-known... Clint Eastwood, director, he did this film entitled Invictus about a rugby team that they overcome all these obstacles and win, and wow, right? But also, Oklahoma City bomber Timothy McVeigh, his very last communication, he scribbled on a piece of paper Invictus as they were leading him off to be be executed. Self-centered, I'm the captain of my soul. But Charles Spurgeon said this, there's another way to be a captain. And there's another captain. Spurgeon said this, 16 years after that poem was written, he says, every person must serve somebody. We have no choices to that fact. Those who have no master are slaves to themselves depend upon it. You will either serve Satan or Christ, either self or a savior. You will find sin, self, Satan, and the world to be hard taskmasters. But if you wear the uniform of Christ, you will find him meek and lowly of heart, and you will find no rest for your souls. And if you could see our captain, you would go down on your knees and beg him to let you enter in the ranks of those who follow him. It's heaven to serve Jesus. Now, some of you might object here and say, no, wait a minute, Pastor Rob. I, I, I see in these disciples' faith all the way at the very end of Jesus' ministry, even after the supper, they all deserted him. That's the most selfish thing you can do to your Lord in his hour of need. They left him and he died on the cross alone. Pride hinders our faith. A jealous heart hinders our faith. The third one is a fearful heart. A fearful heart hinders our faith. This is verses 14 through 29. When we fear what other people think about us or that we're gonna offend someone else with our faith, That kind of fear hinders us. Look at these verses 14 through 29. And King Herod heard of it, and his name had become well known. And the people were saying, John the Baptist has risen from the dead. And that is why these miraculous powers are at work in him. But others were saying, he is Elijah. And others were saying, he is a prophet, like one of the prophets of old. But when Herod heard of it, he kept saying, John, whom I beheaded, has risen. "'For Herod himself had sent and had John arrested "'and bound him in prison on account of Herodotus, "'the wife of his brother Philip, because he had married her. "'For John had been saying to Herod, "'Is it not lawful for you to have your brother's wife?' "'And Herodotus had a grudge against him "'and wanted to put him to death and could not do so. "'For Herod was afraid of John, "'knowing that he was a righteous and holy man "'and he kept him safe. "'And when he heard him, he was very perplexed. "'He used to enjoy listening to him.' And a strategic day came when Herod, on his birthday, gave a banquet for his lords and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. And when the daughter of Herodotus herself came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his dinner guests. And the king said to the girl, ask me for whatever you want, and I will give it to you. And he swore to her, whatever you ask me, I will give it to you, up to half my kingdom. And she went out and said to her mother, what shall I ask for? And she said, the head of John the Baptist." And immediately she came in haste before the king and asked, saying, I want, to give you, I want you to give me the right away, the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And although the king was very sorry, yet because of his oaths and because of his dinner guests, he was unwilling to refuse her. And immediately the king sent for an executioner and commanded him to bring back his head. And he went and had him beheaded in prison and brought his head on a platter and gave it to the girl. And the girl gave it to her mother when the disciples heard about this, they came, they took the head and his body, and they laid it in a tomb. Now, Herod here has what I call a healthy fear and a harmful fear. He has a little of the first, a little healthy fear, and he has a lot of the second. This is Herod Antipas. This is the son of Herod the Great. And Herod had a fear of John, now, John was a powerful preacher, right? He's the last Old Testament prophet. And as a matter of fact, Jesus said there was no one greater than John. Okay, so you have to understand he's a powerful man of God. And he's preaching against Herod, particularly the sin of him marrying his, his half-brother's wife, Herodotus. And so for, for, I think, reasons that she was upset, Herodotus wants him in jail. And, Herodot- and I think Herod, because of political reason, wants him in jail. So he captures him and puts him in jail. But Herod used to like to go listen to him. You know, there's something about that that kind of stirred his heart. It's, the verse says it perplexed him, that he, he talks in a way about God that kind of tickles his fancy and maybe even a little bit of conviction, you know, like a perplex that concerns him. It's like anxiety. And, and I've seen that in church. People will come for a while and, and they come because the, the word seems to be having some kind of effect But like a Herod, they go right back out, back to their old life. They live this dual life. Some people like to sit under the word of God, but they won't take it in and believe. And what happens is fear of others hinders faith. When you fear what others think of you, when you fear what they might do more than you fear God, that's going to hinder your faith, guys. And it's going to squelch it, if you will, and it will cause you not to be affected because you're not willing to take a risk. You're not willing to preach when you should preach or share with that friend or neighbor or loved one when you should. And Herod was afraid of everything. This guy was filled with fear. He feared John, but I think he feared even more his own wife, the people there. He feared everybody that he, somehow he would lose his kingdom. Herod was racked with it. And it seems today to me that there are many people in in high anxiety. And fear is interesting, right, because most of the time it's not real. You ever notice that? What you are afraid of in your mind isn't really real in reality, but it stops you. It causes you, literally, particularly for faith, it literally will stop you dead in your tracks. It's the devil's playground. He wants you to be afraid. He doesn't want you to trust Christ. I think Herod had an opportunity here. I think he had an opportunity to believe. He had the greatest preacher of all time, Old Testament prophet besides Jesus Christ, right there in his prison, and he went to him regularly and he shared faith with him all the time. But here's the key, Proverbs 29, 25. The fear of man brings a snare, but he who trusts in the Lord will be exalted. He had a fear of man. This is often what I find I deal with as a pastor with people. When you break it all down, you sweep it all away, what is hindering you from trusting Christ? It's this. If I share Christ with my coworker, I could be in trouble with work. If I share this with a family member, they will be mad at me. Fear hinders faith. What God is calling us to do here, guys, is trust him. And I think there's a reason, Mark. Isn't this kind of weird? You have this story about the apostles doing all these great miracles, and then he just kind of inserts this This passage right here. Then he picks up the apostles again down below and talks about where they go in their ministry. There's a reason. I think it's this. Herod would not believe because he was so afraid of others instead of God. And he was hindered by that. He couldn't believe. And we know that faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. But the words hit that fearful heart, and he couldn't respond. He was racked with fear. I read this really cool posting on a Facebook page of a church, and it's by a woman by the name of Jessie Rice, and she wrote this on a Facebook blog. I want you to just read it to you. I think you'll, you'll get what I mean. She said this. She says, Dear fear of what others think, I'm sick of you, and it's time that we broke up. I know we've broken up and gotten back together many times, but seriously, fear of what others think. This is it. We're breaking up. I'm tired of overthinking my status and updates on Facebook. I'm tired of trying to sound more clever and funny and important. I'm sick of feeling anxious about what I say or do in public, especially around people I don't even know that well, all in the hope that they'll love me and like me and accept me and praise me. I run around all day feeling like a golden retriever with a full bladder, like me, like me, like me. Because of you, I go through my day with a cloud of shame hanging over my head and I never stop acting. The spotlight's always on. I'm on center stage and I better keep dancing, posturing, mugging, or else the spotlight will move and I'll dissolve into a little meaningless puddle on the ground, just like that witch in The Wizard of Oz. I can never live up to the expectations of my imaginary audience, the one that lives only in my head whose collective voice is louder than any other voice in the universe. And all of this especially is evil because if I really stop and I think about it and let things go quiet and listen patiently for the voice of God who made me and the Savior who died for me, in His eyes, I turn out actually to be profoundly precious, lovable and worthy and valuable and even just a little ghetto fabulous. When I find my true identity in Christ, then you turn back into that tiny, yapping little dog that you are. So eat it, fear of what others think. You and I are done. And no, I'm not interested in talking it through. I'm running, I'm jumping, I'm laughing you all the way out of my life, once and for all, or at least that's what I really want to do. God help me. I read that and I said, that's it. We have a fear of what others think, and that'll hinder your faith faster than anything. And that's exactly what Herod had, a fear of others more than God. Now, some of you might here object and say, hey, Rob, it's easy for you. You're a pastor. It's your job, right? You got to stand for Christ. You got to be strong. That's what you got to do. Well, I work in the real world, dude. And I thought of all kinds of responses to that, By the way, I worked in the industry for 25 years as a sales guy, I know this one. I want to share with you scripture. This is what Peter said. 1 Peter 3, 12 through 15, he says, "'For the eyes of the Lord are upon his people, "'and his ears attend to their prayer, "'but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. "'And who is there to harm you "'if you prove zealous for the Lord and do good? "'But even if you should suffer for his sake, "'for the sake of righteousness,' You're blessed. Do not fear their intimidation and do not be troubled, but set apart Christ as Lord and always be ready to give an answer for the hope that is in you with gentleness and reverence. That's what the Lord says. Don't fear, trust Him. A fearful heart hinders our faith, a jealous heart hinders our faith, a prideful heart hinders our faith. A hard heart hinders our faith. Now, this is verses 30 through 52. I'm not even going to read them. We don't have time, but I'm going to give you just the stories and help you to understand. Right here, Jesus sees that the disciples are tired, and he wants to take them to a secluded place. So he puts them in the boat. They go to a secluded place, and sure enough, the people heard where he was going, and there are thousands of them. And it says that Jesus has compassion on them. And he begins to teach. When he's done, he gives the disciples a test. He says, okay, guys, you feed them. Right? We know this one, right? The feeding of the 5,000. And the disciples are scratching their head going, well, there's not enough money. It's like 200 denarii. And how are we going to feed all these people? Maybe we should just send them back to town. And, right, They, they failed the test. And I'm thinking, man, why did they fail that? They just were casting out demons and all this kind of stuff, right? They blew it. Well, the Lord does an amazing miracle, right? Well, how much bread and fish do we got? Five loaves, two fish, whammo, everybody gets fed. Now, you gotta think, it's 5,000 men. They're probably women and children. You're talking 10 to 15,000 people, a lot of people. Amazing, amazing miracle. And then the Lord has the disciples get into a boat because they're still exhausted, man. And he says, go to Bethsaida. And they get in the boat and they start rowing. The Lord goes up on a little hill up there and he's sitting up there and he sees the guys out there And they're straining at the oars because there's a wind against them and they can't get anywhere. And so he says, Well, I'll go talk to him. He walks on the water. We know the story, right? And he walks to them. Here's a key verse. It literally says that they were astonished in verse 51. And they thought he was a ghost. They didn't recognize him, guys, they didn't recognize the Lord. And then Jesus gets in the boat. The storm stops, right? So two events. But there's a major point here that I want you to get. It says here in verse 52, this is the key. For they had not gained insight from the incident of the loaves because their hearts were hard. You see that? The disciples of anyone should know who the Lord is. At this point, they've been with him over a year. At this point, they should have the most faith of anybody because everywhere they go, he does amazing stuff, and he teaches them personal, right? He comes to them and he shares with them the deep stuff, the real stuff. I mean, he says a parable, then he goes back and he tells them what the parable means. I mean, these guys got it, but they don't got it. Why not? Because their hearts are hard. They did not recognize Jesus what is a hard heart? In the Greek, it means to be completely unwilling to learn. It's to cause the mind to be closed. It literally means to be calloused over. So it's kind of a picture if you have a really hard callous over your heart. The disciples' hearts were closed. And I began to think, what is it that causes a hard heart? And I think there's four things that I could think of. Number one, I'm going through this quick. A hard heart develops when we start thinking about the world more than the Lord. And I think the, God, the disciples, after all this kind of stuff, the pride that was in them, all these miracles, they were worldly focused. They still didn't get it that this man is God in the flesh. They were trusting in the things of this world and not in him. 1 Corinthians ten four and 5 says, For the weapons of a warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. And we are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God and we're taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. We are to take our thoughts captive when we go worldly and pull them into Christ. When you don't do that, you begin to think like the world. All I ever do is watch TV, read the newspaper. I never read the word. You're gonna begin to get a hard heart. That's our thinking, but also it's our actions. That's the second thing that causes a hard heart. When you start thinking wrong, you're gonna start acting wrong. And when you start thinking like the world, you're going to start acting like the world. And when you start acting like the world, your heart becomes hard. It closes off to the things of God. And a third way our heart becomes hard, I think is just fatigue. You guys ever been there? So tired you don't care about nothing? I've been there. Matter of fact, I got so tired at the end of seminary this last December, I was done. And the main thing that I noticed is that my heart felt insensitive to Christ, it's like i go in my prayer closet and it was like I was hitting the ceiling and I couldn't figure out. You know how I broke it? After a few months of that, I, I called somebody that I respect. I consider him more godly than me and I said, brother, I need help. Would you just meet with me and talk with me and pray with me and walk me through this time? Because that close walk with the Lord that I've had for years, I've just, he's just distant to me. I feel like my heart is hard. And he and I began to pray together and fast together and think together. And you know what? The Lord has met me again, praise God. Sometimes it's just fatigue, guys, just tired. You guys seen it? And the last one, I think, is what, the, what happened to the disciples. They had a prideful heart. Sometimes pride will hinder our heart to the point where it becomes hard. A hard heart is hindered, hinders our faith. A jealous heart hinders our faith. A prideful heart hinders our faith and a fearful heart hinders our faith. And I just want to look at the last point, and I'm going to go really quick. This is the key to all this. What enlarges our faith? A seeking heart enlarges our faith. See, a seeking heart recognizes Christ. A seeking heart puts Him first and is open to the work of God. Look at verses 53 through 56. It says, when they had crossed over, they came to land in Gennesaret. They moored to the shore. And when they got out of the boat, immediately the people recognized them, recognized him. And they ran about the whole country and began to carry here and there on their pallets those who were sick to the place where he was. And wherever he entered villages or cities or countryside, they were laying the sick in the marketplaces and imploring him that they might just touch the fringe of his cloak. And as many as touched him were being cured. There's a key here. In verse 54, it says they recognized him. And I think they recognized him for who he was. They actually trusted that this man is a man of God. So often people want Jesus to be who they want him to be, right? But they recognize him for who he is. And they had faith. They believed he could do a work that no one else could do. And I think this is the key to successful life with Christ and a heart that grows is that we desperately seek the Lord, that we have a heart that seeks him, that's open to him. We have just saw four examples of, of a heart, and he's speaking to believers, that have been closed off to Christ, and now he goes to Gentiles. They weren't Jews. They weren't the people that should have believed. They were people that just believed. A week and a half earlier, Jesus had been there, and he had cast demons out of a man, and you know what? That man went out and preached in every city in Decapolis. Hey, this guy just cast out the demons out of me. So the stage was set. God was preparing these people's hearts. And can I tell you, if you find that you have a fearful heart or a hard heart or a heart that's not not close to the Lord, you need to seek him. And he says, if you seek me, you will find me. And this is why I think Mark has this in here because they sought him with all their heart, they were desperate for him. Do you have that kind of heart? Are you desperate for Christ? Do you desperately want to know him or has your heart become cold and calloused and you no longer understand or hear that soft, precious voice of Christ in your life? Too many in the church say they believe, but they live like they don't. I'm going to end with this verse. Jesus said this in John 11:25 25, and 26. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? I pray that you do. Let's pray. Well, Lord, a lot of text, but I think it just... Reveals to us, Lord, that our hearts are so prone to wander. And Lord, help us to to have a seeking, trusting heart. Help us as your people to run from jealousy and pride and fear and hardness. Give us a heart that's willing to seek you no matter what, no matter what the circumstance, no matter what the issue, that we will seek you with all that we are And Lord, you make a promise when we seek you with all our heart, you will meet us. Thank you for that promise, Lord. I pray that you meet us now. In Jesus' name, amen. Could I have you stand with me? I want to close just with a, with just a moment for for us and those of you that are here as I went through that message and began to point out areas that hinder our faith, there might be some of you that feel like you've been on the edge. Because a walk with Christ is not always happy-clappy. There are moments in our walks where we're confronted oftentimes with our own sin and we don't know how to get past it and we feel like we've hit a wall. If that's you, I just wanna pray a prayer with you now that the Lord will meet you and free you from that. So let's bow our heads together. Father, I've I've walked with you and I've known you. And I know the work of Christ is complete. It's a finished work. But Lord, I miss you. My heart has grown cold. I feel like I don't hear your voice. The scriptures have lost their flavor. Help me, Lord. Help me to believe Keep whatever is hindering me away. Right now, I'm committing to seek you and to seek you with all that I am. In Jesus' name, amen. A seeking heart walks with Christ. So my prayer for you this week is that you will seek the Lord with all that you are and you'll find that walk very sweet. God bless you.